Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Your Bibles and join me in 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 as we study God's word together and desire to give him much glory and praise uh, from his revealed word to us and his inspired word uh, revealed to us. That's um, what we desire to do is that we would glorify God. And so that's our aim uh, in all of life, not just in our worship services, clearly and uh, uh, obviously in our worship services, we've gathered to glorify God. And so we would hope that it would not just be the, our aim and our goal to glorify God, but I think churches all across uh, America, that their aim and goal would be to honor and glorify God in their services. But the reality is that even though that should be our aim, that's not always everyone's aim. And clearly, even if it's sometimes our aim, it's not actually what is the uh, evidence by what actually happens in our services. And so as we look at Second Peter, this is the intent behind Second Peter, or Peter's right, second letter now to the saints, uh, first letters to encourage them in the midst of severe persecution and suffering. And now in the second letter, his aim is to warn them of false prophets. One of the ways that um, God does not receive glory is that when men uh, falsely uh, uh, ascribe uh, attributes to his character that are not found in the Bible, or men lie about what God's word has said, whether they do that intentionally or unintentionally, the reality is those do not bring God glory. And when they claim to speak for God, when they do not reveal God's word in a correct way, ultimately then they will not bring glory to God's name, but they bring destructive heresies to his church. And so this is exactly why uh, this is the song we sang. That's our goal is that we would glorify God and we would praise him for all of his attributes, not only just he's a warrior for us, but in many other ways to describe his holiness and his love and his mercy and his long-suffering and his kindness, that the scriptures would want us to realize that he is a God of truth. He does not lie. And when men speak for him and lie about his character and about his nature, ultimately then it brings dishonor and not glory to his name. And so this is a serious offense. And so this is exactly what Peter is cautioning the church about. And so for us to, to look at this, I want us to give a little bit of recap for us to be able to understand this and uh, then unpack what, exactly what we're going to be walking through today. And so Peter's aim was exactly the aim, I think, that uh, you see many times, and you've probably heard this illustration, uh, for when individuals are looking for counterfeits. Uh, they don't spend as much time uh, with counterfeits as far as for those who would say handle money, for example, and they're looking for counterfeit dollar bills. Uh, then unless the, the the bills are new in some way, and there's been a, I know there's in recent days have been a reformatting of our monetary system and as far as the way the various bills look, right? And so maybe it was new to the tellers, it was new to the bank uh, the bank owners or to the the bank tellers that would that would receive the money. But ultimately, 
they handle money so regularly that they can tell just because they know what is real, it's obvious then to know what's a counterfeit. And so Peter does the same thing here. Yes, he's going to walk through some things. Hey, this is what a counterfeit would look like. But primarily, he spends two out of the three chapters walking us through, encouraging us to understand chapter one about our own salvation, right? Our own relationship with God. And if we understand what genuine salvation is, what a genuine gospel is, we understand that we have come to understand that knowledge, come to know the one true living God, have have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that His Spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we're indeed children of God. We desire to walk in faithfulness, walk in obedience to the Word of God. We do desire to practice righteousness and not unrighteousness. We have a hatred for sin and a love for God, which we did not possess, despite the fact we may have been or may not have been religious up to this point. So uh, many can say, I can my own children. They have been in church since um, they were born. For all of our children, I was already in ministry and was already serving at uh, this now my second church and uh, seven years, seven and a half years in one church. Now I'm about to come upon 10 years here. The reality is, is they've been in church their entire life. But ultimately, when a, a person repents of their sin, is genuinely soundly saved, is genuinely born again, that the Spirit of God comes to take, in, take up residence inside of them and transforms their desires, what they may have done in practice now has a new motives, new motivations, new desires behind that. And now they may have read their Bible. We may have led them to study their Bible even prior to salvation. There's now a, a zeal, a desire, a passion to read it and not just a, an expectation to read it. And so as they, Peter spends the first portion of this to be able to make sure they understand their own salvation. That's what chapter 1, much of what chapter 1 was about. And as it, it transitions from... Uh, the beginning of the first portion of chapter 1 to the latter portion of chapter 1, he then begins to encourage them that uh, for them to stay in the Word, for them to understand that it's not based upon their experiences that should, should elevate their relationship with God, but it's based upon what the Word of God says in and of itself. And so uh, let's know the Bible, let's know our salvation, let's, let's know the Scriptures. And then he'll continue that theme in chapter Three as well, as far as their sanctification and their growth in Christ. But then he, he pulls out of that, that theme and then begins and says that, hey, I want to really now paint a picture for you in chapter 2 that's going to describe false prophets. And so as we studied months ago, before we took our break to study through a, a series on prayer, we began to look at that they should beware of false prophets. Chapter 2, beginning in 1 through 3. Let me read those to you. So I want to just kind of summarize this. And uh, in its totality, and then let us break down uh, specific. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, this is the people of the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So they're claiming they're followers of Christ, right? They're claiming they've been bought by the blood of Christ, that he is their master, but then... Ultimately, despite the fact they outwardly profess this, they're secretly then bringing in, whether it's even aware to them or not, and I believe that in the case here, he's clearly going to communicate that these false teachers are aware, but I think even sometimes in, the modern, in our modern era, there can be false teachers who, who really are genuinely deceived and blinded and don't even realize the heresies that they're bringing into the church. And then it leads to the point they're denying the master, denying, denying the lordship of Christ, over their life and in their life, if they were indeed believers, but they are not. And what does that do? It brings upon them, bringing upon them swift destruction. 
And many will follow their sensuality. And here's the passion behind Peter. It's the passion behind myself and others who really want to be guarded against wrong doctrine. We want to be guarded against that individuals will be taught poorly. It's because it's not just about naming someone, warning others about someone. Why would we want to warn them? It's not a battle between one pastor and another. It's a battle over the glory of God. It's a battle over the salvation of others. And Peter takes this time to write this letter to these this region of churches, in an attempt to make sure that many would not then follow their sensuality. as it's common for them to do so. It's why they're there. And because of them, the way of truth, because of them, them being the false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The very means by which a person could be saved, they're hindering that process by what they proclaim, how they teach. And in their greed, here's key here, they will exploit you with false words. They're a shepherd not because they love sheep. They're a shepherd because they love what they can gain from the sheep. Right? They will devour the sheep that they are called to protect. And so the Bible then says their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And then we walked through in our discussion last week about then the future judgment of these false teachers. Peter does not want anyone to be uh, uh, unaware that this, there, this condemnation that's been spoken of long ago and the destruction that's, that's awake, despite the fact that you think, why hasn't God already brought judgment? Listen, God is, uh, only God knows all that He does and why He does what He is doing. But ultimately, we think, why hasn't God stopped those who speak wrongly, who speak falsely? The Bible says, listen, don't, uh, don't be uh, disillusioned into thinking that I am not active and that destruction is not coming. And so then he uses illustrations, three illustrations, to be able to walk through why why these false teachers will be judged. And he uses previous judgments. In verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment. That's the first one. These angels that we talked about last week who left their heavenly abode, Right, came to earth and dwelt with man and had children with man, as Genesis chapter 6 would teach, as Jude would teach, and as even that we had seen and studied previously very briefly in First Peter chapter 3. And so there was, these demons came to earth, ultimately were then pulled aside, right? were ultimately condemned and were, were uh, kept in chains, kept in prison. And then ultimately, what did God do? Shortly thereafter, he destroyed the world. And that's exactly where he continues in verse 5. And if he did not spare the ancient world, so if he's willing to not spare the angels, which are greater than man, and he's not willing to spare the whole world, which is clearly greater than the false prophets, then but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. He says, if he's not willing to spare the entire world, but bring judgment upon the ungodly, why would you think that he, and he's not willing to spare the angels? Why would you think that God's going to spare the false prophets when they teach falsely? And then the last illustration in verse 6. And if God, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So here, clear as example. He's tying these three together. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And so ultimately... He was going to destroy all the cities of uh, 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 Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding regions there that were practicing such heinous activity and heinous behavior. The Lord says that 
if he's, if he's going to destroy entire cities, he's willing to destroy the entire world in Genesis chapter 6, and willing to um, bring judgment and punishment upon the angels, the fallen angels, if you will, then why would he not bring judgment upon the false teachers? And so then verse 9 and 10 brings that climax. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That's the pastoral heart coming out in Peter. Not to warrant, not to absolutely terrify everyone. But he says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep um, the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust, the following passion and despise authority. And so he's going to then move from verse 10. And now we're going to walk through what we're going to be studying this morning. Characteristics then of these false teachers characteristics of these false teachers we were he warned them that there were previous false prophets in the old testament there will be now in the present time as peter is writing to the the churches here he says listen there's he's writing to the saints there's there false prophets in the past will be false teachers among you you need to be mindful of that and then ultimately there's going to be condemnation and you don't want to be lumped in with their condemnation and be encouraged be encouraged that god spared noah and seven others be encouraged that he spared lot and his two daughters be encouraged that he can Spare others despite the fact that the vast majority will be judged. And be alarmed, be aware of what they look like, who they are. And so as we walk through this this morning, I'm, uh, I don't, it, he's then going to walk through verse 10 to verse 22. So 13 verses of just, just painting a picture of the character of these type of men or even women, predominantly men, that are false teachers that are teaching falsely. And so with that, I want us to think through this just, just carefully. And just by word of, of uh, uh, encouragement to you, you think, well, I would like to... Well, I wish there was other readings to be able to tie with this. Well, the book of Jude, so it's the last book before you come to the book of the Revelation of, of John, uh, the book of Revelation, as you may know, the last book of the Bible. The book that just precedes it is the little tiny epistle by Jude. It's only one chapter... And in that one chapter, it, begins, it, it almost runs exactly parallel to 2 Peter. And so you'll see me allude to it probably even last week. I'm drawing um, uh, parallels here between these two, but it just, they really go hand in hand. And so I would encourage you that if you think, I'd like more reading on 2 Peter, then uh, clearly you can go back and read the Old Testament as it's likens to this and as it's referencing those from the Old Testament passages. But, uh, but above and beyond that, if you want to be able to read, then I would read Jude because it's going to be almost a, a direct a clear direct correlation to what we're reading uh, in Second Peter. So I would encourage you to study those together. But just by way of disclaimer, as I'm watching the clock uh, with this, 13 verses, and, and want to make sure I, I do justice to the text, we may not finish, and so, so we'll just pick right up where we were next week. But as we think through these characteristics, I, I want to just take a moment, still by way of introduction, have it gotten into our notes yet, but just by way of introduction, I just want to warn a few things or bring some encouragements to us as we walk through it. First, as we're just thinking through this, why would Peter do this? And I've kind of given you some pastoral hearts behind this, but you begin to think, and I was at lunch, went to lunch this week. There was a new restaurant opened up, and there was a, a friend of mine that attends another church, and uh, he notices the, on our uh, entrance sign the titles that come there. And he just made a comment about, about it. It was a positive comment that he makes, but he just says, listen, uh, it's not the typical type of titles you find on sermon entrance signs, right? Uh, that many times it's a means to just attract people here. And we just believe, we don't, we don't believe in false advertising, and so we're not going to come up with anything new. And so most often our titles simply just come out of the text, uh, very clear of what we're going to be studying. And so 
uh, on our entrance sign right now, characteristics of false teachers. And so if you're looking for an attractional-based church, most people are going to drive right by and go, we're not going there because who wants to spend an entire sermon or Sunday on characteristics of false teachers? What, what kind of axe does this pastor have to grind? Right? I mean, who is he mad at? I want to just put their name on there. It's like, well, I'm, I'm not trying to name anyone. I'm just trying to be faithful to the text. And here's where I want to draw the encouragement, the exhortation for us this morning as we think through this. Why then, if this isn't new to me and I don't have any access to grind, I'm not going to be naming necessarily anybody today, then why would, why would I preach this? Well, I'm certainly going to preach this because that's what the Bible says. This begs a bigger question. Why did, the, why did the Holy Spirit inspire Peter to do this? I think the intent behind this is that he loves God and God's glory will be mess, made, made known by simply describing who God is, God's character, God's nature, and how that's different than man. Number one, let's, let's lift up who God is. If we're trying to draw people to God, let's magnify God. Let's not magnify man in attempts that we, by glorying in one another, that God will somehow receive glory. No, let's just magnify God. And as people come and see the body of Christ glorifying God, I think that's what John was saying. By this love for one another then. And the Bible says, well, how do you know if you love God? You love one another. So by us all loving one another, as we're loving God and aspiring to know him more, the Bible says the world will know that you're my disciples. And so I say that simply say, well, why, why would we... Just put this on the sign and not try to make this some kind of cute kind of deal. And it's because, and this is the true heart of, I think, what Peter's trying to get at here. It's for the purity and the protection of the body of Christ upon which Jesus Christ is the head. So if we as the members make up members, not necessarily as a membership group, but members as far as members of a body, fingers and toes and eyes and nose and a variety of other body parts, this, that when the body assembles in its local assembly and Christ is the head, then when the body assembles together for the glory of the head, then what we desire is that the, for the head to receive the glory, the body needs to be pure. When the members are not working and pro- functioning properly, then we cause a headache, right? We can cause problems. And so we don't want it to be that we detract from God's glory. And so ultimately, it's for the purity and protection of the body. Here, here, let me make sure that we do this way. I don't want to spend all of my time telling my children no. I want to show forth to them the things that they can do. I want to encourage them on the positives. And so I'm going to and not just say, Dad, can I do this? No. Dad, can I do this? No. Dad, can I do this? No. And, and we do have to say no as parents. I'm not one of those that do not want, are unwilling to discipline my children. But I'd rather say, well, rather than do this, here's what you can do. And let's focus your attention here. And here's why I would encourage you not to do this. I'm not simply going to say no for no sake, right? So I'm, I want to encourage you to be able to say yes to these other things. Let me explain to you why you would do those. But there are times where I, I need to be able to warn my children, and it would be loving for me to do so. So you begin to think about 13 verses where uh, this is, can be painful. And as we walk this and unpack this passage, uh, this is some of the most uh, disturbing comments that can be made and so the, 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 view, the view can be, it's like, why would you spend an entire sermon or maybe even two preaching through this? Why would you spend time with this? And it's because I love the body. I want to warn the body. And I want to protect the body as I would protect my children. And so I warn my children of pedophilia. 
I warn my children of those who are, can be dangerous. I warn my children that there can be danger out there. And I say this simply because I want to protect them. I want to uh, bring purity to them and keep, maintain purity that they possess. Not in a, that they're not, sin, they're not sinful, they're, they're sinners. But I mean, I mean purity in a sense of innocence, not defiled by this world. And so just as you would protect your children, Peter here wants to protect the saints. And in a world that, that is full of individuals who do not know how to speak directly to one another, no one wants to call anyone out. I think this seems so far, and why so many pastors avoid difficult passages like this one, it's because, like, no, like, like I said, it's not attractional. People won't just come by the masses to hear you warn against false teachers, upon which there are many. Why do we want to name anybody? Why would we want to call anyone out? Why would we want to, to speak about the things that can be negative? And the reality is, is that in order for the body to be protected, you've got to warn about things that can be harmful to them. And so I will, even in the context of the body of Christ, to warn my children, hey, listen, you need to be in right places and right positions, and you need to be mindful of what can happen because the church is, yes, for the redeemed, but yet we're open, our doors are open for the, the unsaved to come and check us out. They're not members, but they're more than welcome to join us and, 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 and view our worship services and to learn from what the Word of God says. We would want that. We would welcome that. And so there's an exhortation there. But then there's an admonition, a warning about the danger of false prophets and their future judgment. So the second thing was uh, we want purity and protection. But the second thing was we want to warn that there, there are bad people out there. And these bad men, these bad women are there. They're going, as we studied in the previous section, in the previous parts of this section, the previous parts of this passage last week, that it's coming a judgment day for them. And they too can lead you, and many will follow their sensuality and, and follow in the way that is blasphemed. It's, it's, that's blasphemed the way of truth. And so it's leading people astray. And so we want to guard against that. And as you're just thinking through this, listen to the numerous times that there's a warning about the future judgment of these false teachers. <clears throat> And so the key would be, if they're going to be judged, you don't want to follow in like manner. Look at verse 1. False prophets also rose among the people, just there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves what? Swift destruction. And so their judgment, swift destruction is coming upon them. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Verses 9 and 10, as I read earlier. And then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. And then you're going to see it a few more times. Verse 12, as we study our passages today and potentially next week, verse 12. But these, these speaking of the false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. Listen to that, that terminology. Irrational animals. Listen to the future judgments of the born to be caught and destroyed. Verse 14 calls them accursed children, children that are damned. And I don't need to say that in a, in a curse word. I mean, clearly, like, there's damnation. It's a, uh, they will spend eternity separated from God forever in a place called hell. Verse 17, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. And then in verse 20 and 21, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and Savior, or Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled again, are they again entangled in them and overcome, 
the last state has become worse for them than the first. Listen to this. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And then it likens them as the proverb would say. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. So there's a warning to be able to say there's a future judgment for these individuals and you do not need to be entangled with them. You do not need to follow them. And then lastly, just a caution as we begin to unpack these variety of characteristics that I've tried to summarize together. There's a caution. So there's an exhortation to warn or to encourage about purity and protection for the body. So why we want to teach this, why Peter would lead us to understand these things, an admonition, a warning against these false teachers that we would not follow them, and then a caution. And listen clearly as we walk through these characteristics. You begin to go, well, do I need to see every one of these checked off as it's a checklist necessarily before I would call somebody a false prophet? And a few things I want to see. Number one, some of the characteristics are going to be true of all the false teachers. So as we walk through these characteristics of false teachers, some of them will be characteristic of all the false teachers that have ever been known. All of the characteristics that we're going to walk through today are going to be, are going to be true of some of the false teachers. Right? So we've got some of the characteristics true for all of them. All the characteristics are going to be true for some of them. But not all of the characteristics are going to be true of all the false teachers. So if you say, well, I don't see this one area in this individual's life, hence they're not a false prophet, you would miss the point. You would miss the point. Not all of the characteristics have to be true for, for, uh, for all the false prophets. So we want to be able to, go, to look through this, that some of the characteristics are going to be true of all of them. All the characteristics will be true for some of them, but not all of the characteristics will be true for all of them. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? So the intent here is not to be able to say, let me, let me look at the guy on, on TBN, or let me look at the guy on television and say, oh, check, check, check. We clearly need to be looking at the list. But if they're denying the gospel, then clearly go ahead and check the list off. Not necessarily have to look for his character. Go ahead and check the list off. And so then, the last thing I want to point, and then we're going to dive into our notes, but I wanted to just kind of unpack this. And this is the last one I'll, that I think is really, really helpful for us to make us think. You know what I love about this particular passage? Is that the false teachers are not named. They're not named. You think, why? Why did Peter not name them? Because he clearly had somebody in mind. And he's listing out their characteristics. Well, why, why not name them? And I don't know. I don't want to speak to read into that. I don't want to infer things about the scripture. But let me just tell you what I feel like is really helpful as a pastor over a flock, right? Or one of, one of the pastors over this flock. I appreciate it because when you begin to name people, and let me just pause here and say, it's okay to name people too. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. John names individuals in third John diatrophies, and just names him. All throughout, there's individuals. There's going to be a, a prophet here from the Old Testament. Uh, Balaam is going to be named. It's okay to name these guys. I, I could stand here and name people for you. So in a, in a world where it's, we have to be politically correct, I, th- I think there's times for me to be able to say, hey, I want to warn you about this individual. Like Paul, Alexander Coppersmith did me great harm. What is he doing? Warning. Be careful with this guy. He can be harmful. But when we name people, here's what can happen. 
we simply then, in naming them by name only, warns us to watch out for people. You think, well, is that bad? No, I mean, the Bible has done that. Let me tell you what's better. When you're left unnamed, it warns us to watch out for their practices and not just the people themselves. Helps you to be able to discern, because sometimes people are going to be labeled a false teacher, a false prophet, and they're not. And there are going to be times where people are going to be named a true prophet, and they're not. They're really a false prophet. And so you need to look at their practices and not just the name of the person. It will help us, will aid us to be think about what the Bible does say and not just believe what others tell us. Because there can be many times within churches, and I believe we should esteem pastors. Not just because I am one. I, just, I think the Bible clearly teaches this. It should be worth double honor, the Bible says in First Timothy chapter 5. Worthy of double honor for those who spend their time teaching and preaching. You should honor those men. You should not put an, a muzzle on the ox that treads the grain, right? And so you want to provide for them, minister to them, encourage them. Not, as Hebrews 13 says, not make their work difficult. But we can do that many times without being, with just in a careless amount. Oh, I'm totally for this because our pastor's for this. You do realize he's a man and he has sin that he still should be confessing to this day. None of us are perfect. So you should listen to him as long as it lines up with what Scripture teaches and it says. And therefore you shouldn't just be quick to condemn a man because he doesn't line up with your traditions or line up the way we would want things to be done. Does it go against what the Word of God says? And so I think there's a, a carelessness that we just blindly follow this, this leader because he's charismatic. Not in saying that in a, in a, that's mean he's passionate, not necessarily in a denomination, a charismatic movement. Clearly that too. But ultimately the reality in this is that we shouldn't just follow people blindly. And I love that these false teachers are unnamed because it helps us not just to be, stay away from this person, but we want to watch their practices. All right? So with all that being said, all that by means of introduction, let's dive into our, our text this morning and we'll dive into our notes. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, it says, And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. This is why God is going to be is very good at keeping these unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. He continues on, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas, by contrast here, though though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, right? Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these false prophets, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their Destruction. They've they're got a wake of destruction that follows them, and they will be destroyed in it and by it. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Listen to these next statements. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. You see the exclamation there? The exclamation point? I mean, he is passionate 
forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now remember, just before here, he likened them to an irrational animal. An irrational animal. Creatures of instinct who have no ability to reason. Who have no purpose but to be caught and destroyed. You're not seeing animals writing books, right? On CNN, Fox, even though you might think you've seen some of those guys on those television stations. Ultimately, you're not seeing animals come on television and speak with us. You think, well, I communicate with my pet all the time. They have known instincts, built-in natural instincts. And yes, they will do what's necessary and can be trained by what's necessary in order to receive food. But they are not rational beings. They do not reason. You project upon them reason, but they are not reasoning with you. And so it's interesting here that you get down to verse 16. And an irrational animal who cannot reason will be used by God, by God's inspiration through this animal to speak with a voice that could restrain the prophet's madness because they're even more debased than actual animals. Despite the fact that they can reason. So you have individuals who have the capacity to reason and cannot and will not because they are cared along. They've been trained by greed. Verse 9 says, who indulge in the lust of the following passion. So much so it just consumes them. Eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Think about this. Listen to this. No more than God who just said, they're like irrational animals that need to be destroyed. That God would even use an irrational animal to, to bring about prevention of the death of this, at least for a moment, of this prophet who eventually would then be killed by the children of Israel. These are waterless, verse 17, are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. The ones who, and it's not talking about people who are Christians here, it's saying even lost people who get to the point where they're thinking, I don't want to live this way any longer. And if something doesn't change, I might as well just kill myself. They say, well, maybe I'll try religion. And they flip on the television. And who do they see on the television? Hopefully they would see a godly pastor proclaiming an accurate gospel, leading a healthy church. But more than likely, they're going to see individuals, verse 18, speaking loud boasts of folly that will then entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They turn to these men and then these or women, even these false prophets. And they devour them. They promise verse 19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. They can't give you what they promise because they themselves aren't free. For whatever becomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they're entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would, been, have, would have better been, it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. For what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returned to its own vomit, and the sow after washing herself returns to the wallow, to wallow in the mire. 
That's, that's intense, is it not? That's ugly depiction of what false teachers are. And once again, some of those characteristics are be true of all of them. All the characteristics be true of some of them, but not all these characteristics be true of all of them. And as we look at those, let's unpack what we can. We'll probably get through a couple points here, and then we'll, we'll pick up and dive in for next week. False teachers, it's there in your notes. I encourage you to take those out. And uh, I'm going to be referencing a lot of verses. You can write those verses down. I'll uh, read through those uh, relatively quickly. But as we walk through these, I encourage you to write these down. Just help us to walk through these. And uh, I, as I was just walking through these I, and doing my own notes just to kind of help you, there was like characteristic after characteristic after characteristic. And I, mean, I had this long list as I was just unpacking these. And so I'm trying to couple them together to where it was a little more, it made a little more sense. Um, and it wasn't just a, an entire list of bad things. But I could just read that for myself, Pastor. Appreciate that. Uh, so I've tried to bring sense to this in our outline to help us, but uh, maybe there'll be an encouragement to you. So false teachers, number one, will experience judgment because their lives are characterized by presumption. Their lives are characterized by presumption. And uh, the scripture here as it begins to walk through is clearly in this, this main section of verse Verses 10 through 13. Listen to what it says here. I'll read it to you again, and we're going to walk through that presumption of what it looks like. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instincts, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will will also be destroyed in their destruction. Right, And so as we're thinking through this, it's this boldness. And as you're walking through this and just thinking about it, I think that's the, the overarching aspect of this passage can be summarized in verse 10. Overarching aspect of this entire passage can be summarized in verse 10. Those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Who indulge in the lust of defiling passion, that's what we're going to pick up in verse 13 and following. And despise authority, that's what we see in verse 10 and 10 through 13. Is this despising authority, which harkens back all the way to verse 1, even denying the master, even denying the lordship of Jesus Christ, upon which they say is their savior, and he is not, but they claim that he is. And so they are um, despising authority. So this presumption first is boldness. Boldness. Presumption can be defined as like a, a proud, arrogant boastfulness. And so this, there can be a boldness that you you should pray for that I would be bold to speak as I ought. That's what uh, Paul asked the church to pray for him. Pray that I would be bold to speak as I ought, as the Bible would commend and the Bible would command. I would not have a fear of man. But this boldness is dif- different. It's a boldness that harkens back to the other aspect of verse 10 that despises authority. It's a brash boldness, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. And so this this boldness is a denying of the masters. Of, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's an authoritarian kind of viewpoint. It's that, hey, listen to me and only me. Not like what Pastor Tim and I are constantly communicating to you. Listen to what we say. Go back and be like the noble Bereans of Acts 17 and see if what we're saying is in line with the Scriptures. And not that we had ever desired to lead you astray or ever teach you something that wasn't right, but it, if we misspeak somehow or speak in a manner that isn't as careful as it should be, and we want you to check behind that and make sure that what, we, is, what we're actually saying is what's in the Scripture. And if it is, then you need to yield to it because it's not, thus saith Kevin or thus saith Tim, it's thus says the Lord. 
It's clearly in, in the past. It's clearly in the scripture. And so we want there to be a boldness that way, but not in a boldness to say, you just need to listen to whatever I say. Same way it would be in the leadership of the home. Husbands should be leaders. They should command things in their home. They should be careful not to command things that the Bible would not prescribe. Be, be careful there. And clearly for wives and children not to obey things that would be in clear violation of what Scripture would teach. But not the case for these false prophets, right? Secretly bringing in destructive heresies, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality because of the truth. The way of truth will be blasphemed. They're going to exploit you with their false words. They're bold. That's how watch false prophets on television. You know, take out their handkerchief. Tell you to send in your seed gift. And if you send in your seed gift, and this handkerchief's going to bless you. And they'll quote passage out of the book of Acts. Completely out of context. Not normative for what the Bible teaches. How bold are they? What are they doing? They're bringing in destructive heresies. Following the sensuality. Exploiting you with their words. They're in... Because of what? Because of greed. Sad. And yet there's weak people, as I mentioned before, who are barely holding on, barely escaping passions of the flesh and will turn to them only to be further confused, further condemned. And so they're bold and willful. How, how is it that they're bold and willful? Number, point number two, they're blasphemous. Their presumption is one of a boldness, but a blasphemy. They're blasphemous, it says here in this passage. It says, and as they blaspheme the glorious ones. And then, and then it says, quickly into verse 11, it transitions to kind of contrast that, right? But it's a contrast, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Against them, who's the them? The glorious ones. Well, who are these glorious ones? And it's the question. Walks us through that. Or, okay, well, they're glorious. What is this? Who are these glorious ones? Because, I mean, are they angels? But then verse 11 says, translated at least in the ESV, is angels. And so who are these glorious ones? Well, I, I believe this blasphemy, and this is interesting here, to be able to think through this. I believe the accurate teaching or the accurate description as far as historically and even biblically, and I think it's the clearest by the text, is that these glorious ones are fallen angels. They're demons. And the first question you should pop in your head is like, why in the world would you call demons or angels glorious ones? Why would you, why would you do that? Why would that, make, why would that make sense for anyone to call? I mean, I think we should use other words to describe them because they're not helpful. Here's what you've got to remember. In their original created state, they were above man. Right? Correct? We're above man. And yet they are following, are fallen. And so as you even read through 1 Corinthians 15, it begins to talk about stars and the earth and a variety of things and, and man at various points. And it talks about their glory. Glory. Do you know even fallen man still in, in some respects bears the image of God? Still image bears? Fallen creation, the earth groans for a new creation. Romans chapter 8 communicates. But yet in that, there's 
the Bible could say the heavens declare the glory of God, the earth declares the glory of God and its creation, and yet it's fallen. And so these fallen, de- these fallen angels, these demons, are still greater than man. Still have a, a form of glory to them, not that they would give praise to God, but ultimately you begin to see the wonders and the works of God despite their fallen state. And so here you got a picture of is that these bold, brazen, presumptuous, false teachers attempt, listen to this, even in their sinful state, even though they, they don't know what they're doing really, they don't understand what they're messing with, they blaspheme the devil and his demons. Now think about this for a moment. This isn't not true for what we see of false teachers even on a variety of um, uh, t- television stations and, and multimedia. Let me tell you what I'm going to do to Satan. We're going to have a prayer meeting and we're going to, we're going to bind Satan. They're blaspheming Satan. He's the, I'm just what the Bible, I'm not elevating him. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He's the prince of the power of this, the course of this world. There's a, there's a whole kingdom upon which this world system functions and yields under his sway. Now, yes, all of that underneath the sovereignty of our great, great and glorious God, right? Job, he still has, as it's described in Job, he still has to come to heaven to get permission to do things. So he's not on, he's, he's on a leash. But men and women, you and I, we need to be careful that we don't, we don't tell Satan what to do. We don't have authority over him. Yes, greater is he that is what? In us than he who is in the world. But that's he who is in me, not me. We better be careful how we talk about him. And this is exactly how it plays out in a variety of systems. You think, well, wait a minute. I mean, like, man, that wouldn't make sense for Satan in his demonic world. Oh, it would make sense for Satan. As long as we have him caricatured as this red little guy who runs around with a pitchfork, no one's scared of him. So he'll allow that. He'll play in Halloween. He's all about that. Well, underlying all that is his destructive schemes and plans. And so these foolish, blind, bold, and brazen prophets stand up as if to draw a crowd and stand up as if to demonstrate their authoritarian power and begin to communicate to people how they are even over the devil, over demons. And they blaspheme the glorious ones. Blaspheme these who, despite their fallen state, still have some form of glory that we should be careful of, that in our state, they are higher than us. Once again, he's greater than us, but he's not greater than he who is in us. I want to point this out in two places for you, just to help you make sure. Hey, is this what really this means? Remember I told you earlier, there was a book that parallels to this, and almost in its entirety. What was that book? Let me remember what I said. Jude. Turn over to Jude. Let me point this out to you, just let you see this. Jude. It's again a short little book, only 25 verses, but jam-packed with power. One solid punch, and it will leave you breathless. Jude. We're going to pick up in verse 8, and it's going to walk through this. And we could just walk back, and you could see that almost the same exact system of thought, right? And many times people will go, what about plagiary, plagiarism? Yeah, that clearly wasn't the case here. Somebody was copying somebody or, or, or uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. But the reality is God wants his message out. 
Pick up with me in verse 8, and we'll read to verse 10, and you're going to see almost exactly the same uh, setup here, but then it's going to give more information to help us to see this is the case. So the question is, are these glorious ones really fallen angels? And they're fallen angels, then why would we still want to not blaspheme them? And then the, the angels, whereas the angels, it uses the contrast here, the angels won't do this. Well, here you're going to see it all come to play. Verse 8, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams to follow the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the what? Glorious ones. But, now here's the contrast, just the same way it plays out in, in 2 Peter. But when the archangel, Michael, contending with who? The devil, fallen angel, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoned animals, understand instinctively. So here it is. There's the picture. Just like it was in our passage, these bold, brazen, willful, um, presumptuous false teachers, they don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. They blaspheme Satan and the other demons, walking around telling them where he should go, what he's supposed to do kicking him out of places, binding and loosening things. They walk around blaspheming these glorious ones, whereas the angels, like the archangel Michael, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Just like Michael didn't pronounce a blasphemous judgment against the devil when he was contending for the body of Moses, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Where was Michael's authority? Where was Michael's power? It's with God, the Lord. I'm just a messenger. A messenger with might and power. It's been endowed upon him by his creator, right? By God. But ultimately, listen, you're in trouble, mister. The Lord rebuke you. And you think, well, where in the world is this, this contending for the body of Moses stuff? Is it in... Deuteronomy in the rise place was well, the only place which is listed up here in Scripture that we have. But clearly there was a, con- a contention for what was going to happen to Moses' body. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 34 that he, the Lord buried him. And so on that portion of burying him or even shortly thereafter, there was this battle for his body. And who knows what the battle, what was going to be the desire of Satan to use that. Nonetheless, he desired to have Moses' body. And so there was a contention for that. And so you see there's, these, there's this massive um, rebuking, this massive attempt to even control the things they have no understanding of, no idea what's really uh, is out there. And yet they, with their boldness, with their willful um, presumption, they want to bring about um, judgment and place blasphemous judgments on others. I mean, read to me. You don't have to turn there, but just mark it down in your Bible. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. You may have come across this or may have read this. This is... a story about the sons of Sceva. You're going to see this is happening very similarly as what's being described here, that men want to pronounce, men who aren't true, genuine followers of Christ try to use the power of God in a manner to, for their own benefit. Listen to this, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 uh, and following. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now remember I told you earlier, they get on these false prophets. I'm talking about modern day now. Modern day prophets get up and they'll tell you, hey, you send in your seed gift, I'm going to send you this handkerchief. It's been blessed by me. Everything will go well for you. Where do they get that? Well, it's right here in this passage, verse 12. 
God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil evil spirits came out of them. That's where they get it. Now, here's the question, though. What was God doing then that that he's not working now? He had apostles that were giving us the word of God. The word of God's been completed. There were sign gifts that were granted to these men. And so then people were taking this and saying, well, I still have ability to prophesy just like God does. And so as a result of that, when I speak, it's on par with what God says. And I handle this and, and then, man, I'm going to bless this and you can take this handkerchief and you'll be healed if you have enough faith. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They said, well, we're going to mimic what's happening here. What are they doing? They're, they're attempting to blaspheme these spirits. Seven sons, of a, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit, now listen, this is why we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't play games with Satan. We shouldn't play games with demons. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who are you? I mean, what are you doing? What authority are you coming here on? And the man in whom the evil spirit, uh, who, uh, in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's intense, is it not? Well, what's happening here? It's false teachers, these itinerant Jewish exorcists seeing things that are happening that were miraculous, miracles. I mean, no much doubting these things are happening. But God chooses to do things as, as it's according to His will, according to His plan. And these men who want power, these men who want prestige, these are bold and willful, who attempt to play with things that they're ignorant of, attempt to cast out an evil spirit. And a demon-possessed man who possessed the evil spirit pounces on them, overcomes all of them, shreds their clothing because of the fight, and they come out of their clothing because they want to live despite the fact they were embarrassment and shame and flee the house or flee this, the situation naked and wounded. That would happen more often with false teachers. We'd be in a much better spot, would we not? Yeah, this happens all the time. Men pronouncing judgments upon Satan, pronouncing judgments upon his demons, pronouncing judgment in a variety of services, leading others to do the same. And it's foolish. And even the other angels who are the, the, the good angels, right? True angels, not the fallen angels who are demons, want, even though they're greater in might and power than us and the fallen de- angels, the demons, they won't even bring about these type of blasphemous judgments. Michael the archangel would not. They're blasphemous. And in their blasphemy, you continue on, and it likens them to something. What does it say? Verse 12. Back to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. But these, it harkens back to these false prophets. These false prophets like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about the matters of which they are ignorant, will, be, will also be destroyed in their destruction. 
likens them to irrational animals, creatures of instinct, whose only goal and purpose is to be caught and destroyed. Now, this is, I'm not attending to poke you in the eye, but this is just to set the record straight. This is the creation of animals for us. After the fall, animals were designed to be eaten. There is a food chain. Larger animals eat smaller animals, right? And in Acts chapter 10, image of the unclean animals and rise and kill and eat. I can't eat any of these, Peter says. And God says that they're clean. What I've called as clean, you should not call unclean. And so you should eat these. We can eat animals. It's clear. Nothing wrong with that. In our day, we attempt to domesticate these animals and now we've, we've got, I'm a pet parent, right? And if that's what you call yourself, I'm not attempting to, but I'm saying we're, we're trying to move these animals into like they're humans. I give them rights. Not, I, hear me, I, I don't think we should, I'm, I'm a hunter. What we kill, we eat. I don't believe that the animal should suffer long. I think we should, you should practice and you should shoot. That where you can shoot to kill, they won't suffer. But then I think they have to die if you're going to eat them, right? And it's okay to eat them. But the reality in this is, is that I'm okay if you have pets, okay? I'm, I'm not condemning that. But the problem is, is that we begin to put them on par with humans, and that is not what they're designed for. I'm not advocating you go home and kill your, your hamster and eat it. I'm not you know, advocating you go home and kill your, your cat or cats and eat them. I'm not encouraging you to go home and kill your dog and eat your dog. I'm not advocating any of those things. I want to caution us, though, that the Bible calls them, they're not your children. They're not even your companion. You don't know my relationship with my dog and myself. It was there for me. Listen, it wants food. And you will provide food to it, right? It's not in love with your character. The reality in this is that it, it it's instinctively will do things that will bless it. What will defend me? Because you feed it. Right? You get between, we've got hunting. I talked to my son, we're going out hunting. I said, listen, bears won't typically bother you, but it could, one could attack you. And you think, well, well, Dad, you said they don't typically bother you. You get between a mama bear and her what? Her cubs? And that mama bear will destroy you to protect her cubs. What, what is that? Instinct. It's not rational, reasonable. Think about this one second. I think I can take Noah. Kind of judging him. My claws are bigger. I got bigger fangs heavier than he is. I think I could take him. Cubs, you stay there. I'm going to destroy this man between you and I. No, just instinct. Right? Instinct. To be danger to my cubs, instinctively I'm there to protect my cubs. I will kill what's there between, between me and my cubs. Instinctive. Right? And so we, we think through this process, I, I, I'm not encouraging you to go harm your animals. But I, what I do want to caution us is, is that we, we can move out at the point where we think, oh, they're, they're a companion for me. You remember Genesis chapter 2? God had all the animals parade before Adam. And what did Adam do when they were parading for him? He named them. And then what was it said? There's not a helper suitable for him. You're home, you're single. You think, I, I just pets. I have somebody I can take care of, and it's something I can... Great, all those things are fine. It is not your companion. 
God designed us. Why, why was those animals not suitable for, for Adam? They're irrational animals. Creatures of instinct. They were designed with certain with stimuli and responses to stimuli. that They can be trained, yes, but they are not rational. Like I said earlier, they're not writing books and having conversations with us. Despite the fact you talk to them and they, you think they answer you. They do not have conversations with you. And so their purpose is food. You don't think that's true. Let an animal die in the woods. And what do you begin to see swarming about? Talk to me. What are they? Buzzards. They're going to eat this animal. Coyotes and other animals are going to be eating this animal. They're food. And so all to communicate to that is that and for us, we, we, we need a like in these things because it helps us to understand this text. And so basically we're saying, despite the fact these are humans, these false teachers are humans, they have reason. They're acting as base animals, only basing their, their responses on stimuli, lust of the flesh, with no rational thinking, no logic, no reason. And the only good, the only good would be benefited by them is that they, like animals, would die. And we wouldn't eat them, but they would die. Whereas what would benefit us from animals is that they would die so that we could eat them, speaking of the animals. And so that's, this is how strong the language is. That's why I didn't want to just blow through this. This is how strong this particular passage is. And I'm over, out of time, but I'm going to just finish this one section up and then we'll, be, we'll close and dismiss. But I just wanted you to see how absolutely powerful. And so these, these instinctive, uh, these irrational um, animalistic type of creatures, which are which are these false prophets, are blaspheming about matters they do not understand. It's primarily, they're speaking of the blasphemous judgments they they speak in others. They're thinking they understand the gospel and thinking they know this and they know that. And so they they walk around and when they have these experiences, they'll get up in front of their congregations and tell them about things that's happened that was miraculous, ways that they've been led, and way they interpret things that have happened around them. And yes, they'll use scripture to substantiate it, but it's taken out of context. And here's what ends up happening. They begin to confuse their own animalistic instinct and passion for the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it'll be labeled as. The Holy Spirit led me to do this. And it was just a defiling lust of their own passions. And they'll blame it on the power of the Holy Spirit. They'll blame the Holy Spirit as that was doing that. And yet, they're bold, they're blasphemous, and they're ignorant. As it already read in verse 12. Blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant and will also be destroyed in their destruction. Ultimately, they don't know what they're communicating. And in, in that, they begin to reap. They begin to sow in the flesh. And they begin to reap in the flesh. Corruption and death. Where the Bible says, look, if you sow in the spirit, you'll reap what? Eternal life. It's the law of uh, sowing and reaping based on Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 9. And the Bible says, do not be deceived by it. Not be deceived by that. I don't care if they say that Holy Spirit has led them to do this and they use scriptures to try to substantiate it. That's why be the noble Berean. Study what the Bible says so that you're not deceived and ultimately you, like them, are not ultimately destroyed. Well, as you can see, uh, we're going to need another week to, to wrap this up, but simply to help us to be able to see this and understand this. Men and women, there are false teachers out there, and I would want you to be able to identify them. I would want you to be able to help 
those who may be attending churches that could be influenced by them. There being a, a, a denomination who's being influenced by these certain false teachers. And let me just communicate. It's, you're not going to be positive. You're not going to be patted on the back if you name them. But that's why it's important to know what are the characteristics of these false teachers so that you can name them when necessary. And be cautious not to name false teachers when their characteristics don't line up. Let's not shoot wolves that aren't wolves. They're actually sheep like us. But then we do need to shoot, and, and par- metaphorically, right? We, we, need, we need to call out wolves that are genuinely wolves. And I would not want you to be deceived about these wolves. Let's pray together. Father. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.